Do either of you want to suggest any music for this episode? It's got to be free. I bet you Amatai's got something. Uh, Perhaps recorded by him personally. Yeah, in a pinch, Dig I it. think it goes it goes well with the, the themes of me struggling with what counts as art, and it's also just under three minutes, and it is me playing. So uh, I'll send Dig you it. to uh, it's a piece by Matt. What are we going to talk about? Well, first let's start with the you know this is the. Geek Joy Podcast, and I'm Alex Harms. Uh, oh, uh, hi, it's G-Paw. I'm here, too. And this is Amitai, and I'm here as well. Now I know how you pronounce it. Amitai. Amitai. Um, so you may be wondering why I called you here together. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, no, we were starting to talk about some stuff that I thought was really interesting and I wanted to get it recorded about uh, self-promotion and what it takes to uh, put your art out into the world. Right? Yep. I think it's a you know, I think it's a pretty interesting topic. I think it's relevant both to, you know, well, me, <laughs> but also to this weird agile world out of which we all grew you know it, it's um, promotion is one of the big factors in well in agile ass hattery and uh, <laughs> self self promotion is something that you know I think you know we all want to be rich and famous but um, I think self-promotion is promotion, and I get pretty skeptical and suspicious of it. Well, I asked one friend who had, um, let's see, well, they they send out emails with uh, the name sort of automatically added to the email, which is something that I've uh, been uncomfortable doing, so I... I generate uh, occasional letters that go out, and they, you know, tinyletter.com type letters. And they go out, and I don't use that. I don't use the sort of automatic name feature. And I started wondering why, right? And when I get, when I get one of those, and it says, Hi, Alex. I have had... Well, I've actually responded thinking, oh, it's a letter from a friend. I better pay attention. So I noticed um, my own reaction to getting some of those, you know, and they, I get an email from someone I know, and it says, uh, you know, hey, Alex, I need your help, right? Which is a classic lesson that people get from trying to figure out how to, how to promote themselves, right? And, uh, you know, if I get an email from Gpon it says, "Hey Alex, I need your help." That's going to create a whole different response in me. You know. It commands your attention. It does, but it's but then when it turns out not to be what I thought it was, it hurts. It's like it hurts. 
I, I don't. I want people to be able to trust that when I come to them with something, it's genuine. Yeah, but if we, I ask you for help, Alex, you know, right? I'm in trouble, and and I have asked you for help from time to time. <laughs> but, that's true. If but I, ask I mean, you, for help, you know, the stakes are high. It's not I'm about there. reading my blog. Right. Yeah. When I see a message like that, and it starts, it starts with this thing that is an appeal to my emotions, which I generally leave available. And then I feel like a sucker for having done that when it's not a real person with a real need. Or it is one, but not the one that I thought it was going to be. Do you guys also, um, like, use a weird name, a fake name? <laughs> uh, not necessarily a weird name, because I already have a weird name. But uh, I always make up a specific email address for that particular service. Uh -huh. I have I've been doing this for 15 years, running my own email server. And that way, if you know, if you try to unsubscribe or they don't give you a way to unsubscribe and it doesn't work, you can just block that address. Yeah. And I've always wanted to make sure I have that option for anything I sign up for. So I actually I remember that. seeing that on uh, one of my under my tria list or something. It's my tria at whatever your <laughs> domain. I was impressed. So I signed up for one the other day, and I and I signed up under the name Sadly Coercive. And since then, I've gotten daily emails starting out, Dear Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's, that's, good. For sure, that's <laughs> totally awesome. Yeah, that's a great story. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't do that, but only because I'm kind of lazy and disorganized. I approve of doing it. And it, it's just that, you know, I noticed somebody uh, was tweeting the other day about they use a particular mail mailbox system that's made for exactly that purpose. It, it basically keeps your email alive and sends you two responses and no more. People say free and they say regwall, like having my personal email is free. Right. But it, it, it's actually not. Giving you my personal email costs me. Well, um, and so. is it worth it? I mean, if, if I have a list of 2,000 people that all signed up not wanting to be on my list, is that going to do me any real good? I mean, I think my Tria's my letter has uh, 41 subscribers last time I checked. So there are 41 people who actually want to know... When there's an update from Maitreya, <laughs> right. which I think people is people who you know, went out of their way, they went out of their way to say, "Yeah, count me in." Right. Yeah, there's some aspect where uh, if you're if you're deploying some kind of a psychological trick to get people to sign up for your list, you're kind of hoping that once they're on the list, they might still somehow be persuaded as a result of that to take an action they weren't going to have taken, or right. else why are you tricking them? And that whole enterprise, to me, uh, I believe that for some people it's effective, but it feels so foreign to the way that I want to interact with people that I can't imagine doing it myself. This is going to be uh, controversial, I bet. I mean, so when I've asked people, you know, how they, how they came to decide to do it the way they're doing it, they've said, this is the way I can help the most people. This is what this is what I can do to to be the most helpful in the world, and 
Uh, I wonder. I don't know. Like, how, how do I feel about that? As soon as you use ends to justify means, you've you've already stepped off the righteous path, in my view. Ends ends don't justify means. Means justify means. And you know, every means has to justify itself. And if I say to myself, well. I'm really only trying to help people by, you know, forcing them to do this thing that they don't actually want to do. Um, well, you know what? We we can use that exact precise logic to justify every atrocity in the history of ever. And you know, people say, "Well, no, it's a slippery slope." No, it's not a slippery slope. It's a cliff. I'm sorry, I take a really hard line on this. I, I can be our, our house asshole on, <laughs> on, on, this, on this topic. Oh, well, <laughs> if we need somebody to, to say something outrageous about this, just call Mike. Well, let well, me try I, to get really, specific because I'm a little confused about how that might apply, for instance, to me. So let's say that I'm driven, because I am, by a need to be useful to people. And in my head, the definition of useful totally depends on whether that person thought it was useful. But it's kind of a means and it's kind of an end. So how unjustified am I in just operating according to that rule? Because I like it. Hmm. Or how risky is it? Like, what, what could go wrong with that as my life rule? I want to ask about something that feels like it might be related even though it's not directly. Um, and then if I'm wrong, we can swing back. Is that all right, Amitai? Sure. Um, I've been I've talked to people periodically through my life about um, manipulation and whether manipulation is coercion, right? And it's uh it's about because if somebody if somebody says I've got this great information for you and then puts it behind a reg wall, it's not technically coercion because I don't have to sign up, right? I can, um, I could be misled. They could say this is free, but it's not quite free because there's a registration wall. Um, but manipulation, I am actually confused about this. I know how I feel about it. I mean, I guess what we all have in common is that we're allergic to coercion, right? We're all completely freaked out by coercion. Um, but what's manipulation? If somebody subtly arranges things to make you want to do what they want, right? Is that coercive? Is it not coercive? Like, I, and I, I guess I don't really care so much which label fits, but I know which things make me feel gross. Because I actually want people to be with me. I want people to do what they're wanting to do, to follow what's, you know, the bright path for them, and for us to be working together insofar as it makes us both happy. So, like, I, I have an active desire to anti-manipulate, I think, if that makes any sense. To create a situation where they can feel free and at lots of choice. And I don't know what my question was. But I guess I, I have some confusion about that. 
what do we what do we mean by manipulation? Because there is a sense that may or may not be trivial in which we are always manipulating. I feel like the thing that I'm always dancing along the edge of when I'm coaching and consulting is I do want to be manipulating because whether or not I want to, I am. That's what we do when we intervene or be part of a situation. But I want to do it with awareness and with, you know, with a mind, talking about what Mike was saying, to what is my end and what are my means and is this okay? Is it what I want? How do I know whether it's what other people want? Uh, and so I, I think there's no way around it for me of thinking of what I'm doing as manipulation. What there is a way around is doing it mindlessly or uncarefully. And that's usually where the coercion comes in. I have heard coaches tell me that they're always manipulating and so they have to decide and is it okay with them. I've often heard this from coaches who I feel manipulated by. <laughs> and Oh, I'm sure that's just a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... Uh, that's what they wanted you to think. Well, I... want to offer things to people um, but I really don't want to do any tricks to get them to listen and I don't want to come at things with I have the right answer and if I can just make you hear it and get it then you'll be better off I don't think I have the right answer I think I have some ideas so usually what you'll hear me say is um, you know, listening to you talk about that, an idea came up, and I wonder if you'd like to hear it. Like, I I, I don't want to do tricks. I really don't. I don't. Even if I think my ideas are great, I just don't want to. I do want to create a safe environment where maybe their curiosity can come up because they're feeling safe and heard and whatever. So I guess if you want to call... Um, Listening and empathizing a trick, you could. <laughs> you heard well, uh, I th authenticity is everything. If you could fake that, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm very much aligned with both of you. Amita, I think what you said was, was very clear and crisp there. You know, what it is to me is it... I don't even know what the word manipulation means. Because as far as I can tell, when I use language, it's just like using my finger, you know? I, I, I use my body and my mind. I use my everything to change my world. I do that all the time, every day, every minute. But at the same time, I think it's important to accept that, um, you know, you have to take responsibility for what you do, right? And so you have to be aware. You have to struggle to be aware. When I say that I don't use tricks, what I really mean is I don't use tricks on my clients, Alex, any more than I use tricks on my friends, if you know what I mean. That is to say, the, the same stuff I do with my dogs and with my, my G-Kid Khalil sitting over here, if that is, in fact, you know, cross, across the line, that's the same behavior I use with my peers, with my superiors, with my clients, with everybody. I am the same, 
the same doofus no matter what angle you take the picture from. That is the hope, isn't it? Yeah. Being aligned across roles is, uh, it feels like one of the hardest things to get right in life and most important for me. Me too. I, I'm obsessed with it, even. Because otherwise you fall apart and you just can't. Oh, wait, which mask do I wear? How do I. How do I. How do I act in this situation? I can't remember. And I would never suggest that, you know. <laughs> have I ever said anything for effect? Yes, I okay. have. Just last night at dinner, I said, I, seriously, just last night at dinner, I said something for effect. And and so it isn't never say anything for effect. It's I never say or do anything with customers that I don't say and do with my most beloved friends. Or yourself, even? Or, or myself, right? I'm going to myself all the time. Yeah. yeah, me too. I'm I'm fully capable of fooling my ass. I sometimes do it for good, and I sometimes do it for lazy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So what you said about being the same you all the time uh, resonates with me as well. It's been kind of a, a quest of mine since I got out of high school and realized that I was more complicated and more, uh, I don't know, more nuanced unnecessarily than I wanted to be. And I wanted to figure out how to be a simpler person and to be the same person in more contexts. And I still remember the times that I've gotten feedback from people that say, uh, I, you, you write exactly like you talk, or you talk exactly like you write, or, uh, or I, from reading your writing, I feel like I knew who you were going to be like when I met you, and then it was true. All that stuff, to me, is like the, the greatest proof that I'm doing okay so far. And I want to Absolutely. keep that. Yeah. I was going to say, it's, well, you know, actually, Amitai, you and I had an experience that was actually not unrelated to this the other night, right? Amitai came over to visit uh, a bunch of us at my hotel, and it was a night in which I was hell-bent on substance abuse. And um, so I came right home from work, and I started, we were supposedly working together, and I don't know how much work the other guys did, but the work that I was doing was highly focused on lifting small glasses of amber-colored liquid. And um, Amitai came by, and he and I have spent, you know, very little time together, but, you know, we've hit it off, and we've had a lot of long conversations on the Internet and stuff. And I was thinking to myself, you know, my gosh, Mike, you're going to look really stupid because here's this guy and he's coming over and you are so intent on getting wasted. Because uh, I was, you know, for my own reasons. And I finally decided, I was like, you know what? That's who I am right now. That's, that's who I am. Amitai's not going to be my friend any, any, you know, if he's not going to be my friend when I'm getting stupid, well, then he's not actually going to be my friend anyway. You know, because as it happens, sometimes I get stupid. And, uh, and, and that's all sort of part of this whole, you know, idea about 
when I self-promote, what I'm mostly doing is making myself out to be better than I am. I'm sorry, but that's, that's what it feels like to me. And it's not that I don't want to be better than I am, because I do, but I don't want to pretend to be better than I am. You know, I keep, I haven't brought it up, but I keep thinking about how it's fear of not having enough that leads to self-promotion, I think. It's, um, you know, how, I have 41 subscribers on the Maitreya list, right? <laughs> How's it ever going to make any difference in the world with 41 subscribers? Um, and I don't actually subscribe to that fear, but I, but I recognize it. And I, I was really touched by what you were saying, because I think that fear, I was seeing it before as kind of shallow and flat, like just a, you know, just a fear, whatever. But now I'm seeing it as much more personal, much more um, intimate. You know, if, I, if I'm really upfront about who I am and what I'm doing, nobody's going to want to hear anything I have to say, right? I have to be professional and together and articulate and constantly on top of things right, in order to have any hope of having anybody in the world take me seriously. If they know what I'm really like, there's no way they're going to take me seriously. Right? Right. Yep. So, Mike, when you say that you position yourself, I think this is related, as better than you are when you're promoting, does that mean that you're leaving out aspects of yourself that are, you know, less representative or you know less what you want people to think or does it mean that you spin aspects of yourself that are true or both or something else I would say probably both right what I when I'm in a in a promotional mode I'm I'm minimizing the things I think are wrong with me and I'm maximizing the things I think are right with me and you know part of the I think maybe part of the maturation process that I've been through has led me to believe that, in fact, the things that are wrong with me and the things with, that are right with me are intimately connected. And in, in point of fact, all my great strengths are, are all my great weaknesses. And, and so, you know, um, it, it is a... It's a funny thing. So what I used to say, you know, coaches where, where, well, coaches talk about persona, they talk about shtick, they talk about how they present themselves to their clients. And I do too. I thought about this a lot. And over the years, what I've found out is that, you know, it is true that I wear a certain kind of mask when I'm, um, when I'm being um, a pro, when I'm professionally coaching, that I don't necessarily wear when I'm sitting around the house hanging with my friends. But over time, what I've gradually realized is that it's like, it, it's like remember, those, the first great rubber masks of my you know, lifetime were actually Richard Nixon masks. And, you know, they, they basically were a kind of caricature of Richard Nixon's face. And the mask that I wear when I'm working is, is really, it's like, it's, it's a mic mask. It actually is just, you know, it's me writ large, both weak and strong. It's not not me. I'm not wearing a Richard Nixon mask. I'm wearing a big rubber mic mask. 
And so I certainly do heighten some, some aspects of my character. But those aspects that I heighten, <laughs> they're the strength and the weakness. They're, the, they're both. I, I don't, I'm just not, I can't pull it off. And what I've found in life is that those few times when I have been able to pull it off, I haven't been happy with the results. It's both impossible and, and not helpful. I, I was thinking that people are going to wonder what that means, that my worst characteristics are also my strengths. And uh, I was thinking about uh, the practice of compassion, loving kindness, right, my tree, uh, and how much it depends on understanding what it's like to be fucked up, you know. I um I yell at someone or lose my temper or I'm depressed and can't get any work done and that's the thread that allows me to connect with somebody else who's suffering in exactly the same way. Exactly and right. That's exactly right. There are so many perfect teachers out there who I don't really get much from. How does this help me? You, you've got it all together. Your life is perfect, right? You never fuck up. I, <laughs> that's nice for you, but... Yeah, I, I have a, a, a way of thinking about what I'm doing when I'm being effective uh, because it's not the default thing that happens with me. When I'm being effective, uh, <laughs> it's, it's because I have, in some sense, in a very real sense, both in the long term and on a daily basis, I have manipulated myself so that I can, depending on what effective means, I can sometimes do it. And, well, what does that uh, mean? I'm really curious. Well, uh, some of it is about uh, how I control to some extent where my attention goes. Some of it is uh, my uh, criteria for judging what effective means because I'm coming from a lifelong struggle, struggle with perfectionism. And... Uh, I think Agile for me was a, a lightning bolt of a, a way out, where if we can pick one small thing that we're really clear about, we can be perfect at that, and that's you know a finite amount of time. And if we write some tests around it, it'll stay right. And everything that we've asked this code to do, it'll keep doing. And in, in, in a bounded context, that is perfect. It gave me a way to use the drive that I have in a way that actually works, as opposed to what I was doing, which was getting in over my head or never starting. Uh, I so that was like a survival skill for me. Yeah. I am really curious about this idea of manipulating yourself. When you say manipulating yourself, when you use those words, how is that different from something you describe as looking reality straight in the face and making choices that you want to make? I they sound like opposites, and I want to know if that's what's going on. I think it's not. I think what was happening when I was less effective at manipulating myself is that I wasn't paying as close attention to the choices that I had and the reality that was there. And over time, I've gotten a little better at apprehending what are the effects of what I do, what are the effects I want to have, and therefore, what are the actions I want to be taking? And then how do I engineer myself? How do I manipulate myself if I really want that outcome to take the actions that actually will help? Because by default, I won't take those. I call equivocation. So you're, I think, I propose that when you use the word manipulation 
in regard to what you do with yourself, you mean something very different from what at least I mean when I talk about manipulating someone else. Okay. What do you mean? Well, if I'm encouraging someone to see reality as it is, which I tend to do a lot of, it's quite annoying, uh, and encouraging them to choose what they really want in that circumstance, which I also do a lot of, also annoying, that doesn't feel like what I would call manipulation. Manipulation is sort of trying to bind what they can see and what choices they perceive so they choose the thing I want. Mm -hmm. Rather than helping them to see all kinds of options and to see what's going on and to notice where their own preferences lie and then choose, which is what I hope to be doing, if I'm manipulating, I'm trying to constrict those visions down to what I want them to have chosen. Okay, right? so you're you're reading into the word. Uh, I'm reading in just you know, Manny is hand and pulate is whatever that is about doing with your hands. Uh, just you know, just a literal meaning of I I did a thing. I had an effect. Okay, literal meaning. I uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> but that's okay. If no, someone it. screams in your face, you're manipulating me. That's not what they mean. Right. So I, I agree. And then you come back with the literal meaning in the Latin. They're not gonna. <laughs> they're not gonna be like, oh, okay. <laughs> Especially if I come back and say "pulate" means whatever "pulate" means. That's super convincing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so you're you're right though. When when you're doing it to someone else, I can see why you mean, or you would expect them to mean, or they would expect you to mean that you're you're choosing for them what to want. The thing that holds me back and makes me come back to the the judgment free definition that I generally lean toward is that. I don't think you can tell whether you're doing that for them or not. At least I can't. So it's, I feel like I'm always skating on this edge when I'm talking about anything eye-opening with anyone. That I'm going there because I want to and not because they want to, and I'm always worried that I'm pushing it. And I'm always afraid of it. I imagine that helps to keep their options open. Okay. The fact that you're always worried about pushing it, checking in, Right? Making space for them to choose. I sure hope so. It scares me, because I have that allergy you were talking about. So, um, I want to circle back to Geek Joy. <laughs> nice. That's a good idea. Uh, a lot of what we're talking about here seems like it might be um, disconnected to that sort of thing that we talked about when we talk about Geek Joy. But I actually think it's really central. See, the thing about, the thing I'm talking about is this. When, when I am in a state of Geek Joy, I am all of me. All of me is in it. I am I am one thing for good for bad for, for indifferent right yeah. but yeah. you know I'm whole I'm whole so one of the things that that we're talking about here is that acts of promotion self promotion or other promotion all of those things to me they take me out of being whole right and if I'm not whole I can't get to geek joy being in a state of misalignment is exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. 
and yep. it's not it's not ease and it's not joy and yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm new to coaching and consulting, and it took me the better part of a year to get someone to hire me to do that. I had to try to convince them. Uh, and I went through lots of consulting companies that said basically, you have a lot of aptitude, you seem like you might be good at this, we don't want to be the first to hire you to do it. Come back in six months when someone else had. And almost all of them said that. <laughs> so how am I supposed to bootstrap myself here? So between that experience, which was about nine months before somebody took the bait, and the experience prior to that where uh, a daily occurrence in my job was fighting to be heard. Uh, I'm still compensating for that. I think a lot of what drives me uh, over the last year I've been writing on my blog every week and sticking to that discipline uh, and writing a, a short podcast every week that has a script that I then perform has been driven by this need to compensate for how long I went not being heard and not being uh, you know, put to good use in the world. And I have this fear that goes along with it. So it helps me to, to do the self-promotion, that I have this, this well that I'm trying to fill by promoting myself. But uh, I also have a fear that goes along with it, that when I no longer feel hurt by not having been heard or not having been hired, I'll stop. Why else would I promote myself? I don't know. Concerns me a little bit. You're concerned that you might stop? Because mm -hmm, I really like doing it, but maybe I only like doing it because it salves a wound. I don't know, because I haven't been doing it when it hasn't been. How can I tell? Well, I, uh, <laughs> I being heard is really important for humans, right? And 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 for you. And so I hear you, and I'm also thinking. You talk about things from the heart, as far as I can tell that really matter to you and I just got this image of like what if you were free to do that and to put out what really seemed to you as beautiful without having to worry about let's see are, are agile managers or hiring managers or tech guys or whatever gonna find this topic appealing right or Am I saying the right things to get t to get notice taken of me by whoever's going to make decisions about hiring coaches, or am I saying what really matters the most to me? Right, like if you were freed up to say what's on your mind and to to let your art flow, it seems like that would be a beautiful thing and not a loss. I do feel that I am freed up in that way, uh, and something that helps me prognosticate about what might happen when the, the hurt goes away, is uh, I heard some feedback from uh, at least one set of listeners where they're, they're using Agile in three minutes like a book club inside their company because they're trying to get more value out of agility. And so they have everyone listen to two or three episodes every two weeks, and then they come in and talk about it. And that, to me, was the most gratifying thing I could imagine because that's exactly what I couldn't get to happen in my last workplace. Uh, I couldn't have intelligent conversations where everybody was starting from some level of awareness. Uh, and I had wished that my managers or other managers would be willing at least to like go, go read something on the internet by some authority figure on this topic for three minutes or four or whatever. Uh, yeah. And then let's talk. Don't, don't, let me, don't make me explain everything from scratch all over again. 
make a little bit of an effort and then let's talk about it. Right. And nobody would ever be bothered to read anything. But part of what made me choose this format is that maybe if they had three minutes to listen to something, they could have managed that. And so to hear that some people are using it to raise the level of the conversations they're having, I was so happy. I'm still so happy just telling yeah, you. Yeah, that's really marvelous. Everything that I wanted. Although three minutes a week instead of ten minutes every two weeks would be a slight improvement, I think. <laughs> they might discover a batch size at some point. <laughs> that's really wonderful. So, I'm happy to hear that. Me too. That's actually totally cool, Amitai. That must make you high as a kite. Um, I am not worried that you will stop. And I'll tell yeah. you why. Because the reason I start a thing isn't the reason I continue a thing. And so, you know, this has to do, and again, I, geez, I just I keep coming back to this whole thing, this whole person thing. You know, it, it, art isn't the product, right? Art is the making of it. And the, the thing that, that you're doing in the podcast is you can already tell. I mean, I can already tell. I'm just going to total project on you. But I can already tell that you're enjoying yourself. That you are finding in that discipline of figuring out what you're going to say, working on your script, doing your takes, and producing the podcast. You are finding some wholeness there. That wholeness is not coming from from the end product. And yeah, it's totally awesome that you're getting that feedback because you deserve that feedback. That's that's because your stuff is good. But I don't think that I I I think that the initial need as it is assuaged will be replaced by the joy of making the art. Some weeks it feels like that. Some weeks I feel like I have to really drag myself through it because I promised myself I would stick to this. But, uh, right. yeah, I hope you're right. You might be. I think so. One of the reasons that I'm sort of floundering out there in, in, in the trade right now is that I can't seem to find joy in process in any of the different sort of mediums and efforts that I've made to, you know, to, to, to blah, blah, blah out there. Uh -huh. So far, the most, the most effective thing in terms of my pleasure has been the musings, you know, that I do on Twitter, the long connected sequences of tweets. Um, and, but that's one of the reasons that I don't have, you know, a blog that is regularly made or uh, a podcast that is regularly made. Um, is that I can't find that that rhythm and discipline uh, yet. I hope to. I'm still casting around for different ways to do it. But, yeah. but I, I think you're on to something for you. That's really the, uh, the enjoyment of the process. I hadn't really thought about that. I've gone through a couple of phases. Uh, certainly when I started, I started a little bit earlier with the blogging than with the podcasting. And uh, it was on the recommendation of a, of a friend that I tried doing it on a regular basis. And to begin with, I felt pressure and fear like, uh, am I going to have time? Am I going to have topics? Am I going to run out of impetus for this? 
Uh, and then it got to be kind of a grind where I know that I can, but I still have to. And then eventually it kind of came out the other end where I kind of look forward to figuring out what it's going to be next time. And that's, that's, I've, I've gotten over the hump with that for the blog, with the podcast. For some reason, I feel I'm holding myself to a higher standard for what that has to be. With the blog, I'm willing to put whatever. With the podcast, I feel like this has to be, this has to be something that I feel is artful. And that, for me, requires a lot of care and editing and throwing away and retrying. And so it, that's still kind of a grind. So maybe there's another hump there for me to get over with that one. When, uh, when we were talking with Leon Gersing on episode four, uh, which neither of you have probably heard at this point, um, the topic of peeling away layers of... Um, artificial layers of trying to be what you think you're supposed to be versus just being who you are came up. And uh, it feels to me like it's really relevant. Like, we... I think that the more I tried to be who I was supposed to be, the less I contributed to the world. And the more I pe peeled that off and started doing what really is alive in me, the more I'm able to contribute something because actually there is something in me that's worth doing, right? Worth engaging with. And I can't find that if I'm in a box, right? If I'm trying to look like you expect me to look, which I did for decades, decades, then it, you can't see what's really, what's really lit up inside me, right? And, and even if... You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, if what I have to offer the world is a 4, right, it's still better than me trying to offer what somebody else has to offer the world because I can't do that at all. It's like a, a, a 0 or a 1 if I try to do that. Well, look, there's a box, you know. I totally get that. I guess I think the more uh, authentic and raw you get, the more meaty the art is that you produce. I know Mike said the art isn't what's produced, but in, in some way it is. That's what people engage with. So part of what the grind is for me is that when I was thinking in my head, I have, I have vague ideas of how many episodes I imagine I'll make if the energy holds up and whatever. Uh, but I also had a very clear idea, if I'm going to do this, what's the right order to start, at least? And for me, it was definitely not technical topics. It was definitely not project management. It was emotion. It was what has to be true in your head. It was mindset. And so I feel like a lot of the topics that are the most direct and emotional and honest for me happened at the beginning. And now I have to figure out how to continue with what's left. Oh, uh, yeah. That's part of the challenge. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are more uh, minds to be mined in that vein. Okay. I, ha I had a thought come up about your specific one, your specific podcast and what you've been saying. Um, would you like to hear it? I would love to. I, uh, I feel like the thing that's creating the bottleneck for you is all the rules that you've put on top of it. I have to be professional. I have to be 
you know, I have to cover the right topics. I have to, and I just find myself longing to hear what comes out. All that just drops. You just drop every one of those things, those requirements on you. You're like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to make the podcast I want. The next three minutes are going to be the three minutes that's in my heart. And just see what comes out. I would love to see that. I have thought about that, and it sounds incredibly liberating. But I also have a fear that I haven't figured out what to do with. And that is, I never want to waste anyone's time. And I'm afraid that if I don't pack three minutes real tight, then I wasted somebody's time. That might be a little bit off the mark. But that's how I feel about it. Uh, and here we are having a long, slow conversation, right? So how are those things yeah. going? <laughs> well, that thing about wasting someone's time, I mean, I, I feel like a big part of authenticity. Authenticity is risky. You know, there is a risk all the time. If I'm real, I could piss someone off, or I could, you know, someone could feel like it wasn't worth it, and so I wasted their time, or... Um, or I could make something ugly, or, but I know that you are allowed to be authentically you, big and bold and loud and out there. And if somebody decides to pick up your podcast to see what it's like, that's a cost they've decided to invest. They've decided, I'm going to spend this three minutes and see. And maybe they won't like you, which is totally okay. Maybe they're not at a place in their life where they can even hear what you said. Maybe they get triggered in the first three words and then they're just angry, or you don't even know what's going to happen. But I know that there is love out there for you and respect, and someone will appreciate what you have to say. What is going around in my head now is uh, I don't feel that I'm worried about not being liked, at least in this case. In general, I certainly am. But I don't feel like the result of a podcast that is, that is possibly harming to me is that I hear that somebody didn't like it. I don't see, uh, just like I don't see any version of me acting with myself or the world that isn't manipulation in some sense, I don't see any version of me making an episode that isn't authentic in any sense. Uh, and I guess what I'm, what I'm really trying to stuff in there, that I do have expectations and rules on myself for what counts as good enough. Uh, there's some kind, of, some kind of density and elegance and eloquence that I, I want the listening experience to, to evoke. I want every episode to, to have the capacity to be somebody's favorite or to do the most for somebody. And so they can't all be the same. It helps if they're usefully varying from each other the way that they were. Right. Uh, and I try to work that in, too. I experiment with different, you know, different constraints or different styles of presenting it. I had a great time, for instance, with the Estimates episode, which was all questions and uh, didn't quite fit in three minutes <laughs> on purpose. And... Uh, so I feel like there's the authenticity will always be there. Maybe uh -huh. there are different kinds that I can be accessing, but what constrains me is a feeling that I want to I want to have that three minutes be the most meaningful that they can be, up mm -hmm. to a point as long as I can keep doing that every week, which is the balancing yeah. constraint. So just as a well, I don't know if it's an aside or not, but um, listening to you describe 
and watching your face as you sort of chuckle over the estimates uh, episode and the fact that it was all questions and the fact that you purposely let it go over three minutes you know you know what that is right that's you experiencing the pleasure of creativity right. rather than concern for <laughs> rather than concern I mean yeah it's not rather than I know it's still in the con in concern with the constraint of I want it to be good but it's also it's like <laughs> that was clever yeah. Right? yeah I was dreaming the whole time I was writing that episode I was looking forward to what it was going to be like when I read it, and I had to cut it off for three minutes not totally done with it I was excited about it the whole time as I was doing it and that's the challenge is each week what can I do that makes it fun for me to do this one and many weeks I don't have a great insight about it it's just kind of work it's work that I enjoy doing. It's work that I'm proud of when I'm done. It's work that I'm happy that I did. But I don't always feel joy in the doing. That's the challenge is to figure out how this week I'll have that joy again. And it's been a heavy conversation. But I still want to try to close up with a, um, one thing that you're reading, watching, playing, otherwise consuming, one piece of media that you want to share with Everybody, it doesn't have to be your favorite. Whatever pops into your head. Uh, I've been reading one of Jerry Weinberg's latest books called Errors. Uh, that's a, a topic that is near and dear to my heart and brain, and I'm about a quarter of the way through it. So uh, I think a lot of the material is collected from other books of his, but there's no way in heck I've read every one of his other books. So this is a nice way to get uh, everything pertaining to this topic. I think there's new material as well. So, so far... I'm finding it clarifying, including there was a section I just read uh, on perfectionism and survival rules that people internalize and what you can do. Uh, there was a satire model for changing that, of course, and he talks about that. So ways of taking perhaps a perfectionist survival rule and modifying it piece by piece till you have behavior that you find more adaptive. That was awesome. Thanks. I never know how to answer a question like that. Do you want to know what I'm reading right now that I really liked? It has nothing to do with geekery. I hardly ever read in geekery unless I have an end in mind. Heck like, yeah. You know, how do I do X or whoever said it was possible to do Y, right? I'm reading Eric Foner's um, magisterial history of Reconstruction, uh, that era, that 12-year period in and around the Civil War where the South was reconstructed into the Union. Um, and so far, I'm very excited. It's very well written, and I'm learning tons and quite enjoying it. Cool. Thank you. Um, so I, I, I am currently reading a book written by my child. But my child is a totally grown man. And the book is really good. He's getting good reviews. I'm so uh, sort of astounded and impressed and just delighted. But it's also a really good book. Uh, he's <laughs> it's called uh, Crystal Society, and it's a novel. It's the first part of the trilogy um, about an AI, and uh, it's it's really interesting. And I, he and I talk about rationality quite a bit, and 
I'm seeing a bunch of him in there, but I, I, you know, this is how good is a recommendation from a mom? But uh, the book seems to be getting a good reception, and I'm enjoying it a lot. It definitely fits right into my sci-fi stack of books, you know. It, it, it works. Um, yeah, so Crystal Society, that's what I'm reading right now. Uh, I want to thank you guys for, on the spur of the moment, being willing to take this conversation into a, a podcast recording. I think it was uh, worthwhile, and, and I really enjoyed it. I may have learned some things, too. I have some ideas about how to constrain myself less or challenge myself more. So thank you. Woohoo. That was a blast. Thanks. You've been listening to Episode 5 of the Geek Joy Podcast. I'll let Amitai introduce the music. Uh, it's a piece by Metner, who's my favorite composer. He was a contemporary of Rachmaninoff's. And uh, he wrote, uh, in addition to, I think, 14 piano sonatas, he also wrote dozens of what were called in Russian skazki, which is something like a folktale. And this will be Opus 26, number 3, uh, as played by me.